So we are continuing on our series, The Truth Is, here today. And you got to love people who just tell you the truth. My son Landon is one of those people who just tells you the truth. I remember a few years back, I was talking with the kids. I was just joking. I would never want to be the president of the United States of America. But I was just kind of joking about it and said, hey, guys, you think I'd be a good president? And Cade and Brand were kind of saying this and that. And Landon said, I don't think it's a good idea, Dad. And I said, why? He said, because the president needs to be wise, honest, and fair. Like, okay, thank you, son. No Christmas presents this year, right? But Landon's just one of those guys. He's going to tell you what the truth is. And um, Paul, as he was writing the book of Ephesians, we've been kind of saying, I think he really had in his heart to just get the truth out there about God, you know, because there's all kinds of things said about God at different times. And so Paul here in Ephesians, he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he's saying all these beautiful truths about Jesus, about who we are, and that is what we've built this whole message series around, the whole first half of the book of Ephesians is all about who God is and how he has treated us in a way we don't deserve to be treated. Who God is and how undeservedly he has blessed us and treated us, given us his love and his mercy and his grace in so many incredible ways. And it's from that place when you and I know who he is and who we are because of who he is, then we start to hear from God, okay, Now that you know that, and this is really important, if you're not a father of Jesus, please hear me say this. You first have to know who God is and who you are, then you can worry about now what to do, okay? God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. He made us his sons and his daughters. And then, and only then, when we know those two things, then he starts to say, now here's what your life should look like in response to that. Okay, and often that you may hear the opposite. Maybe you come in the church and you think all these people are going to tell me how to live my life, and they just want me to like do what God wants God wants me to do so that He'll like me or love me. No, no, no. Please hear first and foremost: God loves us and has made us His children as we put our trust in Him. And then and only then He says, "Okay, here's now what it looks like to live a life that I am calling you to live." Okay, so please get that order correctly. So today. Paul's going to challenge us to look at who Jesus is, to look how amazingly we've been treated. And then he says, because of that, here is the type of life I want you to live. And he's going to talk to us today about living a holy life. Okay? Now, I'm guessing all the people watching on the stream right now are about to hit stop. Because who wants to hear about hitting, you know, hearing about living a, a, a holy life? You guys are stuck, right? You're here, so you can't leave. Sorry about that. Now, the reason we get uncomfortable talking about things like this is because it's difficult to live a holy life. We struggle with this, right? We don't always get this right, me included. Hear me say that. All of us struggle to live a holy life. Anybody struggle with any of this? Lying, anger, unforgiveness, stealing, gossip, bitterness, rage, sexual impurity, greed, addiction. Can you just raise your hand if you struggle with anything I just said or anything else for that matter? Really? Come on. Raise your hand if you struggle with, thank you. We're all in this together, right? A bunch of liars. You all just proved that you're liars. You're like, not me, right? We all struggle to live a holy life. And some of us might even say here today, the sin just sort of seems to come out of me. Or some of us might say, it feels like sin just owns me. Some of us here might say, I don't know how to stop. Others of us might even say, I'm not sure I want to stop, right? And so this can be very, very tricky. It can be very difficult to live a holy life. But today we're going to deal with all of this. Feeling like it owns us, feeling like we struggle with it so much, feeling like we might not want to stop, feeling like we don't know how to stop. We're going to talk about all of this, and we're going to talk about why it's so important. And I think 
that we have to first start and say that it is right for us to live a holy life because of all that God's done. Again, please hear me, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus. I am not saying live a holy life so that God will love you or accept you. You are loved and accepted, so we should live a holy life, and it's right to do that. The second thing I need you to hear me say, though, up front, is that it is possible to live a holy life. But when I say a holy life, I do not mean a perfect life. There's a big distinction there. It's possible to live a holy life, a life that honors God, a life where we are saying, okay, God, I'm going to do this for you to bless you because you've done so much for me. It's possible to live that life. It is impossible to live a perfect life. And that's why Jesus lived it for us. That's why he died in our place. But we aim to live a life now that pleases him because he's done so much for us. So it is right. It is possible. But hear me. It is best to live a holy life. You know why? Because sin corrupts everything. And we all know this. In fact, we're going to talk about this as we move through this today. But what I want you to see today is that it's right, possible, and best to live a holy life. So for the last six weeks, we've been building to this point, right? And the first three chapters was Paul saying, God is huge. God loves you. You don't deserve to be loved. He loves you anyway. He's given you his grace. He's adopted you to make you his own. And so then, now that's all that that is true, I want you to do this. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul didn't tell us one thing to do. But once we get all that established, who he is, who we are because of who he is now, let me tell you what it looks like to live a holy life. And I struggle with this just like the next guy or gal, right? And so we're all in this together. And so let's jump into it. Ephesians 4. He says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So this is interesting. Paul tells them, don't live like the Gentiles do. What does that mean? Well, we saw a few weeks ago that the word Gentile refers to somebody who's not Jewish, okay? So basically, what Paul is saying is, stop living like the Gentiles. The reason this is an interesting tactic for Paul to, set, to use is because he was talking to an audience of mainly Gentiles. Well, wait a minute, Paul. We are Gentiles. What do you mean don't live like the Gentiles do? Well, Paul was making a distinction here. He was saying, okay, you're not just Gentiles. You're followers of Jesus. You're God's kids. You are sons and daughters, like we just sang about, of God. You're Christians. So don't live like you're just Gentiles. And I think what Paul would say to us, though we don't really use that phrase Gentile all that much, is don't just live like any old person. Don't just live like you used to. Don't just live like the world around you. No, you're different. God's done something in your life to rescue and redeem you. And so, man, because of who God is and because he's of who he's made us to be, he says, live a different life. Don't live like you used to, and don't live like the world around you, not so that I'll love you. I already love you, but now because I love you, live like I love you. And that's what Paul is going to challenge with here today. He goes on a little bit more. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. He's saying, don't live like these people who are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, so he lays all this out, says, here's what it looks like to live like you used to. Here's what everybody else does. But then he says this, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Jesus Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So Paul says, okay, you used to live one way, and everybody else kind of lives that way around you. But you and I, we've got to live differently because of who God is and because of who he's made us to be. 
And then he spends the rest of this chapter and into chapter 5 talking about what it looks like to live a holy life. But before he gets there, he says some really powerful things. So verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now that is a really loaded verse. So let's, let's kind of you know, dig in and, and, and talk about what this all means. First of all, what is the old self? The old self is the part of you and me that basically who we, who we were before Jesus changed our lives and it's the way we used to do things. And so Paul's saying here, hey, put that old self off, right? Get rid of that old self. Well, Paul, tell me why. Motivate me why I should get rid of the old self or the old way I used to do things. Because everything you would give into is corrupted. You, you, the old self gave into corrupted desires. Think about it. Would any of us be okay with keeping something on us that is corrupted? I was thinking of our parking team today. Can we hear it for our parking team out there in a tsunami, like rain out there, right? Incredible. So they come in, they're all soaked, right? Now, I just want you to imagine that our parkers, they, they leave their coats on and they're drenched and they never get them fixed and dried and, you know, cleaned up. And so they, they, they go into their work week on Monday and they notice a little mold is growing on their jacket. And they, Tuesday rolls around and the mold's spreading. And, and then by the end of the week, the mold is starting to grow onto them because they, they haven't taken the coat off. They haven't dried out. They haven't gotten it clean. None of us would do that. We would look at something that's corrupting us and say, I got to get this old thing off me. And Paul's saying, that's the old self. The old self is that part of you that was corrupting you and had full, it was full of these deceitful desires. So Paul's saying, you don't even want this old part of you. Like, like we're attracted and drawn to some old things, but that old self is just going to corrupt everything. And here is what we need to hear today, is that sin isn't our friend. Sometimes we think sin is our friend, and we keep it close, you know? And it's like, oh man, I'm not going to let this go because this is what I go to here and this kind of helps me numb out or get distracted or, or it just you know, makes me feel like I have at least something I can turn to in the midst of everybody else and everything else falling away or you know, walking away, but treat it like a friend almost. I'm just here to tell you today, sin is not your friend. And as you and I look at sin and think it's our friend, it's simply we're, we're being deceived. Because here's what we, we all know. Was we all know that sin corrupts. Every person in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, we know that sin corrupts. Let me just give you some examples, right? It's the lie that corrupted the relationship, right? It's the impurity that destroyed the marriage. It's the anger or unforgiveness that destroyed the relationship. It's the addiction that cost us the job, right? We all know that sin corrupts. And so when God tells us, live a holy life, he's not just being this domineering father who's trying to ruin our fun. Would you read this with me? God graciously tells us what is good and what is bad, not only because sin isn't pleasing to him, in the long run, sin isn't pleasing to us either. He's trying to save us. He's trying to rescue us. Think about it. If you saw a child running toward an electrical line that had fallen, you wouldn't just tell them not to touch it because you're this crazy, domineering parent who wants to make sure they obey you. You'd be doing it to save their life, right? And that's what God does. He sees us running toward pornography and he goes, that's going to corrupt you. He sees us holding on to anger or unforgiveness and says, that is going to corrupt you. Let that go. That's going to kill you. That's going to ruin you. And so God tells us, put off those deceitful desires because the truth is you're going to believe that those things are going to fill you with joy and you're going to get this return on these things and in the, in the end, it's going to bite you bad, right? Sometimes we think, 
This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to bring me joy. And it only ends up making a total mess. And every one of us know that's true, whether we believe in God or the Bible or not, right? Let me give you a silly example. Last week, I drive off the premises here. I drive out to the glorious establishment that is Villa Gracia to pick up some pizza for my family. I come out of Villa Gracia with the pizza boxes in my hand. I see something on the back of my car strangely out of place. It is this magnet right here. I love country music. Someone put that on my car. So I quickly rip it off. I drive home. I relax. I repent of my anger. I come back to church at night. I do the service. I take the shuttle down to my car to pick up my car at the end of the night. And I'm exhausted. And look what's on my other car that I had driven back that night. I love country music once again, right? And I'm just thinking to myself, here are some people who were deceived into thinking that this prankster action would bring them some joy. What deceitful, corrupted, Gentile thinking going through these people's minds, right? Okay, serious example. This is you and I saying, okay, if I can just lie, I'll get my way out of this. If I can just lie, I'm going to be okay. And, and here's, a, here's a little problem, but if I lie, then I'll get out of it and problem avoided. And in reality, the lie makes the problem so much bigger, doesn't it? Okay, just a little bit of pornography. It's just sort of on the side. It's just to, you know, carry me over, distract me a little bit. And oh, wow, that destroyed the relationship. Okay, a little bit of unforgiveness. You know what? It's going to put the other person I'm mad at in prison. Oh, no, no, I ended up in prison. Wow, isn't it amazing how these corruptions come because our desires are deceitful when we're dealing with the old self. The old way of doing things doesn't work. That's why we all turn to Jesus, right? Because we were done with the old way. We were done with the old self. And we said, I need something new. I need God to rescue me. I need him to save me and empower me to live a different way. So holy living is not just right. It is best for you and for me. So then, He says, put off the old self. And then he says this, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And this is huge. We've done entire messages based on this concept. Would you just read this along with me? This is a really powerful thought, and it's so true. What we think about determines what we do. It's so true. What we think about determines what we do. You could go Romans 12 on this. You go Romans 8 on this. You can go Philippians on this. I mean, there's so many different places in Scripture that tells us that what we fill our minds with will then impact what we do. And what Paul's saying here in this verse is that we have to get this new attitude in our minds. In other words, the old self had a certain way of thinking. And we used to fill our minds with certain things when we were talking old self. But now we're new self. Now we're a new creation in Christ. We're new people. We're not just Gentiles anymore. We're, we're followers now of Jesus. And so now we have to start to fill our minds then with things that honor God, right? We've got to start to look at things that honor God. We've got to start to think about things that honor God. And I'm just telling you, if you're here today and your number one struggle maybe is something like porn or whatever, this is key for you. Maybe this is all you need to hear today, that you need to begin to fill your mind with things that honor God. And that's going to get, begin to more and more get you on the right road away from looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at things that are corrupting, things that are destroying relationships that you really care about. And so he says, hey man, let's get this new attitude in our minds. Then he goes on, and to put on the new self. So he says, put off the old self, but put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here is what is interesting, because 
What Paul is not telling us to do is, hey, go on a hunt. I think back in the closet there is your new self. Go find your new self. See if you can put it on. No, here is the reality. God already made us the new self. He already made us new. Simply what Paul's calling us to do here is cooperate with what God is doing in our lives already. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit that's in our lives. So we put off the old self, which is trying to creep back in and say, hey, I'm going to bring you pleasure. I'm going to bring you joy. And Paul's saying, no, 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 throw that old self off because he's trying to get you to get pulled off to touch a power line. It's going to kill you. Instead, cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life in a new way. That's what God is up to. And this is what he wants you to do is pursue things now that are along the lines of honoring God. Now what's interesting here, and I think this is so powerful, is that when we realize this verse is saying something way bigger than just put on the new self, we also realize this verse is saying that you and I are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know what that means? That means so many days you and I wake up going, man, I feel like to do things God's way is to go against who I really am. Do you know what that verse is telling us? If you've put your trust in Christ, he's made you to be like him, righteous and holy. So when you and I go to do the wrong thing, we're actually going against who we really are now because we're new in Christ. Can we still do wrong things? Yeah, but they don't own us. We don't have to, and we can do the right thing because the Holy Spirit's empowering us. So we know who we are now. We are made to be like God. We are his kids. We are full of all that can make us holy and righteous in him. So it's no longer me and sin against God. It's me and God against sin now. And so we're flipping this whole thing on our head. We got to wake up every day and say, all right, I'm not going to go back to the old way of doing things. I'm, by the grace of God, I'm going to walk and live a holy way today. And so I'm going to be careful what comes out of my mouth. I'm going to be careful what my eyes look at. And am I going to get this perfect? No, I'm going to fall sometimes. And the grace of Jesus is going to pick me up and I'm going to keep on rolling and moving ahead toward him because that's how great he is to me and to you. But every day we wake up saying, wait, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not defeated. I'm not, you know, just waking up every day like trying to get by and trying to get through this sin. No, no, the Holy Spirit is in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in me. And Romans tells us we'll give life to our immortal bodies. Man, what, talk about a different mindset, right? And so God has told us who we are. God has told us all he's made us to be. And then he gets into what it looks like to live a holy life. So if you're here today saying, Doug, can you give me some examples of what it looks like to live a holy life? Absolutely, it's coming. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, I said the same thing last week. I'm just going to kind of throw some shoes out into the audience, so to speak. And if they fit, you put them on, all right? If I say something that strikes your heart, then great. You grab a hold of that thing and you surrender it to God. And man, you begin to see him make a difference in your life. And my wife's doctor said to her a few weeks ago that often we want to go from sick to healthy in a straight line. You know, my wife's been going through so much and all we want is just good, I'm better. He said, what you need to realize is it's kind of step up, maybe a little plateau, step up, maybe a step backwards, and then step up again. And, but, but still, eventually, you get where you want to go. And that's the Christian life, guys, right? We don't necessarily wake up on Monday and we never sin again, right? Jesus is the only one who's ever pulled that off and will ever pull that off. But, man, we take a step. We get a little closer to God and, okay, we struggle a little bit to step back, but then closer again, another step up and forward. And this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. And there should be change over time in our lives, again, because of who God is and because of what he 
has done. So, verse 25, let's get into it. What does it look like to live a holy life because of who God is and who he's made us to be? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we all are all members of one body. So I'll just throw this out there, a little shoe I'm throwing out into the crowd. If you're lying, knock it off. Speak the truth. That's what God's kids do because of who he is, who he's made you and I to be. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So if you're angry today, then man, it is time to work through that while it's still today because if we don't, we give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? My son Landon loves to climb trees and uh, so he'll say, Dad, can you give me a boost? And so I'll go over and I go like this and he puts his foot on my hand and I hoist him up into the tree. And when you and I don't deal with the anger in our lives on any given day, it's like we go over to the enemy, go over to Satan and say, hey, you want to boost into my life? Take a little step up, jump in, do some damage, right? And so Paul's saying, don't give the devil a foothold. No, deal with it today. And this doesn't mean everything is right. This doesn't mean that the relationship is perfect and we're all, you know, fine, everybody's happy. It just means that the anger in my heart is not allowed to remain while my head hits the pillow. Any anger in my heart has got to be dealt with. I've got to let that stuff go. And sometimes it's doing it every day. But every night, if you could put your head on the pillow, you could say, all right, I'm not giving the enemy any place in my life, then man, you're doing what God's calling you to do. Verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must no longer, um, I'm sorry, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. There it is, the English language is confusing sometimes, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Hey, you're God's kid. Don't steal. Work hard. Honor God, right? Next one. Do not let any unwholesome talk. This is probably a big one, right? Ouch. Unwholesome talk. The ESV doesn't say unwholesome. It says corrupting talk. Do not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So this means, and we talked a lot about this a lot last last week when we talked about unity, I should not be having conversations with anybody about anybody else in a way that's going to corrupt how that person feels about that other person. But only what's helpful to build people up. I should not have a conversation with any of you that would corrupt you, but I should build you up. So again, if this is a shoe that fits, surrender it to the Holy Spirit. God, help me with this. Help me to grow and change. And it goes on. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is in our lives, this tremendous gift. I'm telling you today, the Holy Spirit is your greatest asset in this battle against sin. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, right? Then it goes on. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So bitterness out the window, rage out the window, brawling. I, never, I don't really remember the last time I saw a brawl, you know. Once in a while, a brawl break out in the cafe over the last blueberry donut. I throw some fists over one of those. They're pretty good. But, you know, like getting rid of all these things that are rooted deep in our heart. And instead then, and I love about this list, is Paul so often says, don't do this, but instead do this. So it's not just a bunch of don'ts. It's, hey, here's what it looks like to honor God. So I love that he kind of pulls out the the double barrel shotgun and blasts one out at all of us, forgive like Christ forgave you. So if any of us had a reason today to not forgive, you don't anymore. (laughs) Because we've all been forgiven. And so Paul so powerfully motivates us and then he goes on to Ephesians 5.1. And this is powerful. You ready? Follow God's example, example, therefore, as dearly loved children. What is that? More of who you are. A child. A dearly loved child. Why live a holy life? Because you are a dearly loved child. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. More reminder of who we are and what we should do because of who we are. 
So we love God well, and we love one another. We sacrifice for one another, if that's what it takes. All right, verse 3. Whew, here we go. This is where the room gets a little quiet. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. I've said this before. When my mom would come over and give you a massage, she'd like, she, she didn't even ask. She'd just come over and start to massage you once in a while. And she was one of the best piano players I've ever met in my life. She was unbelievable. And she would practice hours and hours a day. She had the most strong hands. And she'd come up and begin to massage you, and it hurt. But it was good for you. You know what I mean? Like, if you've ever had someone do that for you, that cares for you, they're not just kind of like doing it to, you know, they're really trying to get in there and work things out deep in your muscle. And it hurts, but it's good for you. And what I'm going to say over about the next three or four minutes hurts but it's good for you, okay? I just want you to know it's coming from a place of love, and I am an imperfect person who's saying it. But let's get into this, because I believe that this is probably one of the biggest ways that we struggle. Paul really says, okay, here's the deal. Not even a hint of sexual impurity. Not even a hint. He doesn't say, all right, guys, you know, I, I know how it is at the office. People start talking. People pulling up stuff on phones and computers, and I get it. It's okay. Just... He goes, no, not even a hint of it in our lives. Are we going to get this perfectly? No. But should we aim at holiness? Yes. Is holiness possible? Yes. Is it best? Yes. And I think this is probably where our mind and what we think about and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to guard my mind. I'm going to fill it with holy thoughts. I'm going to look at holy things. This is so important. If you and I are struggling with sexual impurity, then, man, this is key for us that we would protect our eyes from what we're looking at, right? That we would not, for a second, look at porn. We'd say, man, I can't look at this and live a holy life. These are at odds. I can't look at impure images. What am I looking at on social media? What am I watching? What TV shows am I watching, right? What stuff's coming up on that screen? Because, man, I might think it's an innocent little thing here, and it was only 10 seconds, but, man, those 10 seconds can be in your mind for the rest of your life, no? And so... Not even a hint of sexual impurity. Just checking out people who aren't our spouses or flirting with people who aren't our spouses. Just thinking about things that are impure and just kind of playing them over in our minds. And man, this is also what we do with our bodies, right? Sleeping with people who aren't our spouses or people who are dating, just being in different types of impurity, right? And Paul is just simply saying, not a hint of it, not a hint of it. Are we going to get that perfectly? No. And our Savior loves us when we fall down, and he picks us back up, and he forgives us, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Yet, we got to aim at holiness here. And I just want to say loud and clear that sex is an amazing, beautiful gift of God. And so often when you hear things in church about sex, it's sex is bad, sex is bad. No, sex is wonderful. In fact, would you read this with me? Sex is an amazing gift of God that when misused, and that's where the problem is, when it's misused, corrupts pretty much everything. And so our sex of, our, our view of sex is, is high. We, we're so grateful to God for this beautiful gift. But when it's misused, man, the damage that it does. It does. I don't think we need any further evidence than Everything that's been going on with guys like Harvey Weinstein lately. You know, if you're watching the news or reading the paper, movie producer, powerful, rich guy, beautiful wife and family. And he's now been accused, I think, of either harassing or raping over 60 different women. And he has lost everything, everything. His wife, his kids, his career, his money, he's being sued, his job. I mean, he is disgraced. He is in rehab for this right now. And do you know what? And this is, again, truth and love. You ready? Why do we get upset 
with situations like Harvey Weinstein because essentially he reduces a woman to a piece of meat. No? I love you, so I'm going to say this. Isn't this what we do when we look at pornography? I mean, at a different level, but aren't we basically doing the same thing that we dislike about Harvey Weinstein right now? And Harvey Weinstein needs Jesus, right? He needs prayer. He needs a savior. But man, for you and I, we've got to begin to realize, man, I got to honor God with my eyes and my thoughts and my body. And living that way is right. And it's possible, but it's best. Then he goes on. He says, or of greed. So not a hint of greed. So if that's your struggle, it's time to bring that to God today and allow him to replace greed with some contentment and some, some, wow, thankfulness for what you already have. Then he goes on, because these are improper for God's holy people. So sexual impurity and greed improper for God's holy people. Then verse four, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So Paul says, hey, knock it off, you know, with the sexual jokes and with, you know, foul language. Instead, thank God, use your mouth for good instead of for bad. Then it goes on a little bit more. He says, for this you can be sure. And this is a confusing verse. And at first it almost feels like, wow, I think I'm in trouble. And then as I talk more about it, I hope you'll be encouraged. But for this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And I think we look at a verse like this and we go, well then, what hope is there for me? Because I am some of those things. I struggle with some of those things. What hope is there for me? But here is the hope. You see, there's a difference between struggling with those things and celebrating those things. And if you celebrate those things, I think it's hard to say that God's at work in our lives. But if we struggle with those things, we go, man, I'm saved, and I'm on this walk, and I'm taking a step up, and all right, a step back, and I need to repent and confess and ask for mercy and all right, another step forward and take another step forward and then I, I trip a little bit again, but all right, but this time I, I'm not going to give in to condemnation and I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to keep going and moving. And man, before we know it, we see ourselves closer and closer to our Savior, more and more like him, changing again over time. And so you're loved here today and you have a great father who's trying to pull you away from the power lines and he so badly desires for you and I to be free of these things that corrupt and deceive us. Then he goes on in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner with them. Okay, or do not be partners with them. And this is a verse a lot of Christians misunderstand. Like, we're not supposed to have relationships with people who don't believe in Jesus. Absolutely wrong. That's not what that verse is saying. That verse is saying, if you see someone sinning, don't partner with them in that sin. And so he says, hey, steer clear of that. Be careful with that. And then, I love this. This is more identity stuff, okay? More great news, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. That's who we are. That's identity stuff, man. That's deep down in here stuff. We're children of the light. We were stuck in darkness, but we've been rescued from that. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. So, man, you and I need to be on the hunt. God, what's going to please you? Again, why should we do this? Because of all he's done for us. Because of the way he's loved us so incredibly well have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And this talks about our responsibility to each other, that if we see one of our brothers or sisters running toward the power line, that we would say, no, wait, 
don't do that. Don't touch it. That's going to kill you. Right? So the, the thought of exposing one another, that word, I think, throws us a little bit. It's not like, ha ha, look at this bad person that I caught you in sin. It's, I love you. I want to rescue you, right? And so it's not like Bob was walking through the lobby and he tripped and he said a bad word. We're going to be publicly flogging Bob in the, during the cafe hour if anyone would like to stay and watch, right? No, it's, wow, how can we rescue Bob? How can we help him so that he doesn't continue to head towards something that is deceitful and corrupting and will eventually kill him? It goes on. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, rise, uh, I'm sorry, wake up, sleep, or rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so this is just talking about how, man, Christ wants to shine on us, and there's going to be everything brought to the light, right? Nothing hidden in Christ. Then it goes on, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And maybe this next verse is a shoe that'll fit some of you. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I'll just throw you know, all kinds of addiction in there. Do not be controlled by those things. Don't be filled by alcohol or drugs, because they're going to control you. But instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the new self. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You have the full Holy Spirit in you. That's your identity. Then he goes on, and we're going to end here. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the new self praises God a lot. And so I don't know if any of the things that we brought up today convict you. They do me. I don't know if there's anything on the list that you saw you need some work on. I sure do. I'm sure there's some things that weren't on Paul's list that we struggle with that maybe God's beating you know, down into our heart a little bit of conviction today, but it's loving It's there to protect you and me. It's there to draw us back and rescue us and save our lives. And so I hope because of all of that, that you will see what I think Paul is trying to say here. I think he's trying to say, because of who God is and who he's made you to be, live a holy life. Not a perfect life, but a holy one. Our hope is in Jesus because he lived the holy life, the perfect life. And now we lovingly try to emulate him because of all that he's done for us, And because not only his way right, not only is his way possible, but his way is best. So, what areas of your life need some attention? Lying? Anger? Stealing? Unwholesome or corrupting talk? Bitterness? Rage? Unforgiveness? Sexual impurity? Greed? Addiction? Something else maybe Paul didn't bring up. What do we need to bring before God and say, all right, Lord, I want to live a holy life. I'm not going to get it right every time. And, and my kind of chart here might be a few steps forward, a few steps back. But God, I, I want to be more like you and I want to be closer to you. And we saw some great keys here today. We saw that filling our minds with the right thing is a huge key to winning this battle. We're going to see another big key next week. But that is huge. That is maybe the answer for those of us in the room who are wrestling with this whole sexual impurity stuff that is just so big in our world today. Saying, I need a renewed mind. I'm going to fill my mind with Scripture. I'm going to fill my mind with the Word of God. I'm going to fill my mind with thinking about and talking about pure things. Scripture tells us we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, just wrestle that thing into the ground so that we can think about what's pure and what's holy and what's good, and that is what's best. There's not a marriage in this room that wouldn't be better if each one of the married, uh, you know, husband, wife, 
said, okay, by God's grace, I'm going to begin to fill my mind with what's holy and pure and right and true. We'd be blessed. Another thing we saw is just cooperating with what God has already made us, who, who he's already made us to be, that his Holy Spirit's in us, that, that to sin is really to go back and try to reach back into the old life and the old way of doing things, which was broken and corrupted and falling apart. But no, let's, let's be who God's called us to be and empowered us to be. And let's be motivated because of who God is, because of who he's made us, because his way is best. And if we do, man, we'll begin to live a life that honors God. And more and more we will see that that old self isn't trying to creep in and corrupt our new life in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope today you're hearing not a bunch of rules, but a loving God who first gave his son to die in our place to rescue us because we couldn't keep the rules in the first place. Who then fills us with his Holy Spirit so that he can empower us to protect us from all of those detours we try to take that are so deadly. So if you want to put your trust in, in him, I'd encourage you to do that in just a minute. But I just want to challenge you with this last story. There were these three kids who walked into a church one day, and they went up to the church leader, and they began to confess to all of these different sins. And as the church leader was talking with them, he began to get the feeling that maybe they weren't being honest or they were kind of pulling some kind of prank or kind of taking this as a joke. And and he began to think that maybe they either hadn't committed all the sins or at the very least they were kind of joking in their repentance and their confession of these sins. And so... Two of the kids ended up laughing and running out the door, but one kid stayed. And so the leader said to him, okay, he kind of played along. Okay, now that you've confessed to these sins, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk over to the far side of the church, and there's a picture of Jesus on the cross. And what I want you to do is I want you to go over to that picture, and I want you to stare Jesus in the face. And what I want you to say is this. You did all this for me, but I don't care that much. This kid walked over kind of cocky the first time. He said, you did all this for me. I don't care that much second time he said you did all this for me and i don't care that much and the last time he tried to say it again and he broke down in tears because the sin and this loving savior who had given so much began to just really make sense to him and you know what i think today those of us who've been playing around with sin and kind of pretending it's our friend Maybe we need to realize that in those moments, it's kind of like we're saying, Jesus, you did all this for me, but I don't really care that much. Today, my prayer is that we care. We tell him we care, not just with our mouths, by the way that we live our lives, because of who God is and who he's made you to be. Live a holy life. Let's pray. God, we need your help. God, we're all imperfect, and we need your grace. And we thank you that you pick us up when we fall, and that you know we fall, and you still want us. You know right now we could all promise you we're never going to do this again. We're never going to do that again, and we will. But you still want us. And I thank you, God, that today you're longing for us to live a holy life because it's right, yes, but also because it's best. And so would you help us, Lord, where we fall short? And would you strengthen and empower us? If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to pray about right now? What do you need to bring to God and just say, man, God, I'm totally, totally, failing in this area and I need your empowerment I need your forgiveness and I want to turn from this sin I want to repent of this sin I want to live a new way in you so empower me God pick me up when I fall but empower me let me see where the next year the next five years the next ten years God a change in this area of my life 
you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, maybe you just want to pray something like this quietly. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Show me how real you are, God. Empower me to live a new way. Help me to cooperate with your Holy Spirit. God, pick me up when I fall. Thank you for this gift I don't deserve in your name.